Hi, this is Michael Key, publisher of Makeup Artist Magazine. Uh, we have a podcast about Dick Smith. Joining me today is Mark Vignello of Craig Reardon. Peter Montagna, who's graciously uh, provided his home for us which to do this, and Kevin Haney. But we are sitting around a kitchen table. There's munchies on the table. If you hear all kinds of strange sounds, it's because we're just doing life. But we're, what we're talking about, there we go. There's a little bit of Foley work by Peter. We, uh, we're talking about the one common denominator that we all have, is, which is Dick Smith, which all, changed all of our lives and careers. For those that are maybe a little bit uninitiated to Dick, just a couple of quick talking points for you to do. You should do a little bit of recon on him. He was, uh, 1945, he was the first television makeup artist in history. He also became the first head of television makeup at, at NBC Studios in New York. He developed the first color makeup for television. And he also invented many things that that makeup artists motion picture television owe themselves today, whether they're aware of it or not. Overlapping appliances, uh, many of the, the tools and materials in which we use, PAX paint, and on and on. So you'll hear us reference some of those today, and we're, we're all pretty aware of it. We have context of it. If you don't understand it, do, do a little bit of due diligence and do some research on who Dick Smith is, because we all consider him to be the godfather of what we do. I'm going to start with Craig, because as a teenager, you embraced Dick really early on, and I would like to know why that was, and tell us how that came about. Sure. Um, I tell you, uh, it began before I was a teenager, it began when I was a preteen, and I was a fan, uh, as all of us at the table are, of uh, the uh, element uh, of movies and TV which uh, wander into the area of the imagination, make-believe, uh, horror, science fiction. That, that kind of uh, subject matter already had me hooked as a kid. And uh, out of that grew a fascination with the way that occasionally people were transformed so that they could play a person from another planet or a monster or, a, you know, it, it behooves us to set up the stage. Uh, e even as far away as the uh, early 1960s, there had been a tradition going back several decades, obviously, of uh, make-believe characters, the marvelous stuff. And I, uh, as a kid... Uh, took it all in, but I began to be particularly impressed by the work of this uh, bespectacled gentleman from New York who occasionally contributed articles to Famous Monsters magazine, which was extremely popular among kids with that bent of mind, and singular, really. Publication. It was kind of the only thing that was really showing behind the scenes of what makeup artists did. Yes, so how yes, and yes. Point? Well, I think when I saw my first issue of Famous Monsters, I was uh, like about eight years old, seven years old. I didn't actually uh, buy or own one until I was a couple of years older. So it's a gradual process. Were like you playing any... with things and trying to do... No, 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 uh, no, uh, no courage for it. It seemed, uh, it seemed like something that was simply uh, not, not within my grasp. Uh, but uh, Famous Monsters, or its editor, Forey Ackerman, uh, would occasionally post photographs of actors being made up. And we all remember that if we're of a particular age. And the fascination was that they were not necessarily getting the finishing touches. They were often in the middle. And it was left up to you to try to understand what it was that you were looking at. I mean, what is this on his face? Uh, you may see a person... Uh, like Boris Karloff, who increasingly became a familiar figure, uh, even to me, you know, as a young kid. But what was this substance, or whatever in hell it was, that was building up this this Frankenstein dome on his head? For example, well, uh, along comes Dick Smith, and he has contributed articles to early issues of Famous Monsters, which depict him actually step by step creating things for a particular television show that he was commissioned to do, which was just one season called Way Out, mm. which many of which, if not all, were written by Roald Dahl, who's since a very, very celebrated and honored uh, uh, writer. Mm. And produced by David Susskind. And yeah. there you go. And that's, a, and that's key because, of course, Susskind was out of New York, and Susskind had turned to Dick several times. Yeah. And uh, so 
I remember, I'm actually old enough to remember promos for Way Out, but my mother was, I, I called her the sleep police. She wouldn't let me stay up past an hour, so I never saw one, one episode. <laughs> but the teaser was fantastic, and, and there, they obviously featured some of Dick's stuff because I, I remember vaguely from my the remote you know, mists of childhood seeing these things animated. You know, in other words, seeing them in a quick promo on the television. But it wasn't until I saw his articles years later in back issues. Back, in those days, you used to be able to go to certain bookstores and, and find back issues of uh, any magazine, including Famous Mantras, and I remember for one particular birthday, either my father or my mother, knowing my enthusiasm, found some of these for me, God bless them. And they had Dick's articles. Which were so, so far... They were so much more plausible than a lot of the other stuff in the magazine at that time. You saw other makeups that looked like crap. There was, yes. an, element, there was an element of reality to it. As, as crazy as it was, Dick's work, he always based it. There was some element of reality to it, which was unnerving, which gave it... It just made it that much more real. It wasn't so far out that you couldn't buy it. It wasn't crazy. It was, it was organic enough where it looked real. That's yeah, absolutely. he had that kind of anatomical street cred to it, what he was doing, <laughs> if I put it and, that and way. And Craig, Craig brought up an interesting point. You, the pictures were so good, they were, they were, you, he was in mid-process of, of, of creating something. So you, you got to see, it was almost like a peek behind the curtain. Like, what is that? I remember him gluing the false face on. There's one picture where he's, right. he's got this full face on. He's, and, I, and as a kid, I, I, again, the same thing as Craig. I, was, I had famous monsters, and there's Dick... Uh, gluing this rubber, I, I assumed it was rubber, gluing this face on the, the actor, and, and, and it was it, it's really it's very intriguing to watch. Yeah, it was almost it. impossible what to make of it because yeah. it looked like a real and what and what is person. He, and what is he putting it on with? Yeah, and what is the actual material? And uh, yeah, it was it was really intriguing. Absolutely. Which is something from the page before. You're looking like the turd man with eyes, which some sort of like complete crap thing. And then, <laughs> and and then, then also you go, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like this, wow, what do we have here? Because yeah, he, he, he punched through level. to another dimension of, well, of makeup. He really we, did. And this was the beginning of the germs of Dick the Teacher because he was showing things of the process, mm -hmm. the Dorian Gray especially, oh, but fantastic. even but even the there were three makeups: the Hunchback, uh, the Quasimodo type character, false uh, face, false face. Yeah. Uh, the one that scares everybody, the uh, the half erased mm -hmm. uh, face, and uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, which may not have even been for Way Out, but no, it wasn't. But at the same time, these. He went step by step, and you saw, especially in like the the false face episode, uh, you saw making the mold, mm. finishing the clay sculpture, flattening the nose, uh, now, flattening the nose so with tape. You know, so brilliant. I mean, who would do that? And all of this stuff was like a germ uh, of an idea that enabled us to go, wow. A lot of the studios kept makeup like you never saw. How they made Wizard of Oz, or even Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, or Planet of the Apes. You usually saw a person in the chair occasionally, like I think later Vern Langdon actually recreated some of the step by step processes. But Dick seemed to be the first and the one to do it the most thorough and the most easy to understand. I believe it was the success of those articles that. Had him create the uh, do-it-yourself monster makeup handbook, which influenced so many she people. Does. And understand There's a thing that we're going to talk about the issues and, and where they were. And I got a question for that. I want to at least get to the point. Like you're like so young, but what point did you actually reach out to Dick? You you actually tried to you contacted him. Well, it's a it's a long story. I'll I'll attempt to make a short story. Uh, obviously, the respect was already there the exposure to his early work uh, in the extraordinary realm was there via those articles, just as uh, my colleagues have said. Uh, I had uh, uh, the opportunity to go to Columbia Studios when I was uh, 14 years old, and that's odd, but I, I, am, I have no collect, uh, connection, or had no connection, uh, connection, Jesus, uh, pardon me, through <laughs> uh, uh, my family to the movie business, but my dad worked for the phone company, which was a monolith. 
And he knew a lady that handled the phone work for Columbia Studios in downtown Hollywood. So he arranged, just to make a long story short, I, I repeat myself, but he, this lady, God bless her, I never met her, arranged somehow or other for me to be able to go and meet Ben Lane, who mm. was in charge of makeup at Columbia. So that was in uh, very early 1968, and I couldn't even drive. Clarification: Where was Columbia Studios at that time? It uh, it still exists. It's called uh, something Service Studios. I forget what they've renamed it, but it was in downtown Hollywood. Okay. And uh, it uh, fronted on Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, went along Gower Street on the other side. What uh, channel? KT. How do I get right? What's no, it's channel five now. It's not that. It's not that building. No, that's okay. that was a Warner's property. But uh, at any rate, I went there, or rather my mother drove me there because I couldn't drive that, dropped me off, found my way with a couple of guys, you know, like it's over there and go up the stairs kind of deal. And before I even met Ben Lane, I came up this narrow staircase, as I recall, and there was a landing and, and there was a corkboard there and there were certain uh, things stuck to it. And being a curious type, I took a look. And lo and behold, there was a letter to Ben Lane from Dick Smith. Hmm. And uh, some communication, I think, about a movie that was being done over Godfrey Cambridge. At any rate, I thought, my God, that's Dick Smith. That's him. And I looked at the top, and the letterhead had his address. Hmm. So you better believe, I, you know, if I hadn't had a pencil, I would have scratched it, you know, in blood <laughs> on my arm. I got that address. <laughs> <laughs> And then I went and kept the meeting with uh, Benny, who was very gracious and had a great time. I got to meet Purse Westmore. It was a memorable visit, but I have to tell you in all candor and honesty, the, the, the plum of that whole experience was taking home Dick Smith's address, and I didn't wait. When I got home that evening, I wrote him a fan letter. That's said, how, how did you wow. get my address? <laughs> <laughs> this is an early version of stalking. <laughs> you, know, you know better than that, Pete. You didn't care. You know, I mean, the, the, the marvelous thing about the guy, once all of us got to meet him and got over our, uh, you know... Shock and awe. Yeah, the shock and awe, exactly. So 14-year-old... Was that he, he wanted to be approached. Sure. I just had Very the... Uh, I, I think it's accurate to say that I was the first person of a particular wave... Mm -hmm. I think he had had one letter years before from someone, but he told me at the time that it was a unique experience, basically, mm. to hear from somebody. Things have changed uh, mightily. You're in California, and you write this makeup artist, Dick Smith, who's in Large Mart, In Large Mart, North, New York, yeah. And, uh, New York, sorry. Not at all. But uh, it was a fat, garrulous, single-space letter, but he plowed through it, and uh, I don't think I waited. Well, first of all, I'd like to say something. I would have been you know, over the moon if he'd sent me a postcard saying, thanks for your letter, see ya. Uh, you know, good luck in the future. You know, the standard issue Hollywood brush off. In, or, or nothing, you know, which is the real Hollywood brush off. Mm -hmm. Instead, and I've told this story many times, but uh, it bears repeating, I got in the mail I, within a week uh, a, a manila envelope, which was a good two and a half, three inches thick, addressed to me, return address Dick Smith, Murray Avenue, Larchmont, New York. And I couldn't believe it. I was in shock, thrilled to death, you know, fumbled it open, pulled it out, had a two-page cover letter to me, specifically addressing things I'd said, his own feedback, his own impressions on various topics, including, you know, the issue of uh, department heads and who really did the work and who he felt was perhaps responsible for some of the actual work. It was a... It was an interesting, there was substance to this letter. It was not written as if uh, any of my uh, particular input had, had, had escaped him. He had read it, and he processed it, and he responded accordingly. He told me that he thought one of the leading makeup artists of the time was a man named Stuart Freeborn in England, who I'd never heard of. Well, I, I certainly know who he is now, but I'd never heard of him. Well, that was Dick. He, he basically uh, spoke what was on his mind. He was very, very to the point. He wrote beautifully. He didn't. It wasn't like me. He wasn't. He, you know, a hundred words will do when uh, you know one. You know, instead of one for me, but not. He was the reverse. What was else in the, in the envelope? And in the envelope as well was a stack of photographs, and there were not only uh, uh, eight by ten portraits uh, of some of his own beautiful work, beautifully photographed, which he took a lot of the pictures himself. But in addition, he lent me uh, studio photographs that he'd acquired great, uh, gradually over the years. Pictures of uh, work done at Warner Brothers, for example. 
I remember in particular some pictures that came from a particular Warner Brothers film, I think it was Juarez, with beautiful hair work, just like they can't do anymore. Uh, because he, why? Because he admired it. Because he admired good work. And he collected it and he, and he learned from these examples himself. And so it was a wonderful mix. It wasn't uh, by any means just, you know, horror or, or grotesquerie, although that was also well represented. But he also sent me these enlargements that he had made, I learned later, uh, by a particular lab in, in New York, which would take normal 35-millimeter uh, negatives and enlarge them so that each frame was approximately, oh, I should say, maybe three by two. So they were large. You could really see each frame in a sheet. But you had the edge numbers. They were still negatives. But they were large so that you could appreciate the detail. And what they were were a step-by-step -step, uh, a record of him making up Hal Holbrook for Mark Twain Tonight, which I had seen. I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe the... Uh, the thought process that had gone into doing this and the, uh, the, the, the particular kind of thinking that went into how he analyzed how to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was, you didn't have to have that told to you, you know, Michael, you, you could see it. it, it spoke for itself. So this and is like this dropping a hand grenade, 14 year old Craig Reardon's life. Unbelievable. All of a sudden this changed everything for you. I mean, I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, how do you think this really affected your career and where, who you are today? Well, uh, I'll tell you what, the most honest answer is that it transformed me to where I don't, I can't tell anymore. And I think that some things that changes to the bone, to the, to the bone marrow, you know, that you become a different person. It's like, uh, you know, Paul on the road, you know, when he had the epiphany, the same kind of thing. You're a different person from that point. Whereas before I had admired him and his work had impressed me, this uh, somewhat, uh, it just so, so thoroughly changed my life. And i got to tell you, what a point of pride to go to school. I wasn't popular in school. I wasn't a BMOC. But I held within me, but I know Dick Smith. I know a very special person. Sure. And he writes me letters. It was, it was a point of great pride. It's kind of poignant to think sure. back. You know? But he, he became a kind of pillar in my life. Yeah. He became something to hang my own very fragile self-esteem on. Sure. I thought that if... If I could elicit this sort of response from this good and uh, decent and brilliant man, uh, I should think better of myself as well. It was the encouragement. It, 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 yes, it was. Well, also, what you're saying is yes, when I, when I got that letter, that didn't you feel better behind. about yourself, when Peter? I got that letter, and, and I know online, Kevin's told the same your story. Work, your work needs you. Your your work looks promising. That's all you had That's to hear. That's all I had to hear. The rest of the letter was. Okay, but just hearing that one line, your work looks promising, no. I, I turned to my wife. Yeah, and I'm going to let go of this because wow. I want to hear your stories. And uh, that's about all I have to say because, of course, things proceed apace and you make other connections. But that initial uh, thing was, uh, was an amazing, amazing yeah, event. He did quite life. a thing in your life because he empowered you with information that few people in the world had. More yeah, than I could yeah. even process. Yeah, it was like a, whatever you were thinking of doing. I'm going to be a baseball player, I'll be a fireman, or you think, you know, whatever you were like. At that moment, probably all those went away because now you have this information. And that's one of the organic things about being, a, especially a creative person and a young person. So you do what you play where you can win. And all of a sudden, you, those doors were minuscule compared to the door that he had just opened to you. Well, it, it was a door that you had to have some guts to walk through because you had to, uh, you know, gather every uh, particle of courage you had to walk in the footsteps of Dick Smith. I mean, this guy was already a colossus to me, but it was a very disarming colossus. The way he liked to communicate uh, in those days was not so much with letters, and he even said to me, I, he said, I'm awfully busy, but what I often, often like to do is send the tape. Well, that way I can work, I can talk, and... Uh, I'll just send you the tape. Do you have access to a tape recorder? Well, I happen to have a deck. I didn't. My dad did. And I said, I have a, a, a tape recorder deck. Mm. So he started sending me these quarter-inch tapes, which I have all of them. <laughs> oh, Someday man. those are going to Ampass. Mm. I have about 15, 18, 20 of them. And he would, and I, I still remember, God bless his heart, I still remember you'd thread it up, push the button, pull in the leader, and I hear, you know, the room tone. And then I always hear the same voice. Hi, Craig. About like that. Yeah. Slightly high pitch. He says, I'm sitting here and I read your letter and he did yeah, and the rest of yeah. it with the voice we love and remember, you know, with the very slight lisp and uh, the very 
quick, quick, because the guy was good. God damn smart. About the fact that he took the time to, and the to time. make a tape. Oh, yeah. yeah. But well, but he's, he's, he's working. He might leave while he's working. But but he's he, but he's splitting his attention between his work, his livelihood, and his passion to talk to some punk on the on the west coast. So Craig, what I want to know is, you know what? I'm, I'm looking for where the ripples from the rock that he just dropped into your life. What was the next thing you did? Did you start doing any materials? Did you start to experiment? It took me years to to even get up the the uh, courage to uh, even play uh, to, 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 to to yeah to even go. It wasn't like Rick, who was already uh, you know Rick Baker. Uh, there's only one Rick, and Rick you know was already doing amazing things. And it was Dick who introduced me to Rick, uh, not directly, but he, yeah. he basically said, "I just heard a, heard from a kid." This was about another a year kid over near you. Yeah, that's exactly right. About a year in, he says, uh, "You know, I've heard from this kid." And he says, "His work looks pretty good. You might want to get." To together with him he looks like on my map he got out a map of yeah. the greater LA area so it's like like maybe you know you you could maybe you know look him up sure unbelievable yes Kevin uh, how, you yeah uh, how much later in is the time frame to being invited to watch Dustin Hoffman being made up as little big man well and about a year about two years and, and uh, because I contacted Dick in February of 1968, and uh, he first came out here in my lifetime, that is to say, in late 68, to do an additional scene from a movie he was doing with Patty Duke called Me, Natalie. And I got to watch him do that makeup. And they shot it at, a, at, a, at an effects house in Hollywood that did, used to do all the Star Trek inserts, so called Joe got, Westheimer. So you got to see this? I got to see yeah, that. And that was the first yeah. time you met Dick? The first time I met Dick in the flesh, yeah. And he came out to dinner at our house and, you know, the whole... And then uh, it was a full year later, but here's the great thing, you guys. He uh, told me while we were in the car driving someplace, he said, you know, I got a letter from Dusty Hoffman. He says he's going to be doing a movie. And he says, it's pretty intriguing because uh, in one part of the movie, he has to be 120 years old. And I just heard that and I thought, wow. I said, boy, you're going to knock that out of the park. <laughs> I just thought this is going to be the greatest thing ever. You know, obviously, I mean, it's just, it's just a notion. But Dick Smith plus a 120-year-old man, yeah. it's already done. You know, in my mind, I just think, I, I can't wait. I couldn't believe it. Such amazing opportunities. I don't know. I know, Mike. Like, I really don't know anybody I, else that do, I, did these type of things where they're going, hey, listen, this kid who wrote me a letter, come to the no, studio no, no. and watch me do a makeup. Who does this? Nobody. Well, nobody can do it anymore. <laughs> right. However, even in those days, that generosity of... The cassette tape. Well, in your case, it was a reel to reel. They were reel to reel. Yeah, little, 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 little by the time I, of tape. By the time Maybe I you was accept this together. mission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah, Michael didn't nail it. It's just like at the beginning of yes. And exactly. I too was getting tapes. They were cassettes. Yeah. We had gotten cassette cartridges and stuff. But my God, uh, to be able to see both of those makeups, because even though you know there was a lot of controversy about whether Patty Duke was even wearing a nose and me Natalie no she couldn't be a nose can I it's tell impossible. you a funny and, and poignant story when she died God bless her heart because she was a sweet girl uh, they ran a photo of her it wasn't her it was her made up for me no, Natalie no. yes it was the obituary photo in several of the stories that were run but he made her look very attractive and he had, and he had a trick he did you know Dick loved that word trick mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of tricky he'd say he, he did a trick because the story, which was written, and by the way, I, you know, this is a terrible time we're living through. We're trying to survive through where everybody gets typed and everybody's hypersensitive about gender, about ethnicity, about everything. Well, listen, this was a story about a Jewish girl. It was written by a Jewish writer. I can't remember the guy's name and produced by a Jewish guy. I mean, you know, that's not a crime. And uh, it was marvelous. It, it did a wonderful job about creating her, her home life. And she was, she, the idea of Natalie was that she was sort of self-hating, but she turned her self-hate into humor, a bitter sense of humor, a sort of defeatism, but a kind of a brashness too. Uh, but she was hurting. Lovely movie. I don't know why the hell this has fallen between the cracks, because Patty was a great actress. Well, Dick got that, and he got it in two levels. Because she's redeemed later on. Her, 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 her life is redeemed because she gets faith in herself because she has a love affair with someone. It doesn't work out, but it gives her confidence in herself. It turns her around. Dick 
conceptualize the makeup in two levels. The first one would make would emphasize the writer's emphasis on her feeling uh, an outcast and, and homely and unattractive. So in, co in conspiratorial collaboration with his hairdresser, they parted her hair down the middle, got a very severe, typical hippie's late 60s look, mm -hmm. and he gave her sort of a Semitic nose, and he gave her slightly full teeth. She wasn't, she wasn't ugly, but she thought she was ugly, so they were a trifle exaggerated. Later, he changed the nose, and he slightly altered it to be a little more conventionally attractive. Which, by you know, white bread standards, would mean a little less long, a little less you know, mm. tip, and a little less with the teeth. Very, very mm. audacious. Nobody picked up on it because it was Dick Smith. You know, somebody with a ham fist. It would have been like a, mm. you know, like a like a skit from Saturday Night Live, which was supposed to be funny. Yeah. You know, but this was Dick Smith. And uh, Ike saw, obviously, well, I, don't, I shouldn't say that because it was for the end of the picture. You have to know that. I saw the altered makeup, which was the more attractive version of Natalie. Before we get too far off the beaten path, because you, you've referenced Famous Monsters of Filmland several times, and that is one of the distributions of why people, why the generation knew of Dick Smith. Yes. You and I are West Coast guys. We've got two West Coast guys and three East Coast guys originally. We're all sitting on the West Coast now. But that magazine made it to me living in Texas, a small town in Texas in the 60s. Uh, whatever Forey Ackerman was doing for distribution as a magazine guy, <laughs> I, I look at that and I go, he, he did something right because yeah. it made it out there. Yeah. Um, I'd like to hear just a little bit because of Famous Monsters. I do think it plays a, a piece in... in as far as a distribution platform for Dick Smith be discovered by many young people. Was that how you knew of Dick Smith, Kevin? Well, it was a combination. It was Famous Monsters of Filmland, yes, but also uh, Vin Kehoe's, uh, Vincent J.R. Kehoe's uh, His art and technique of uh, makeup for stage film and television, you know, Absolutely. quite a mouthful, and Richard Corson's stage makeup. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those featured a tremendous amount of Dick Smith makeups in them. Uh, and right. again, the course and especially had step-by-steps of first Mark Twain and in the, uh, in the fifth edition, I think, he added Little Big Man as well. Yeah. I believe that the fourth edition only has the Mark Twain Tonight makeup on Al Holbrook. And you came out of Ohio. If I so came so. out of Ohio. Right. For some strange reason, uh, technique of film and television makeup was in our school library. Wow, that's great. <laughs> so did you find that before Famous Monsters? Uh, no, Famous Monsters came first because I was a monster head. You know, the films of Harryhausen. Uh, every day uh, during grade school, you'd come home at 4 o'clock. There'd be creature features uh, mm -hmm. on at 4 o'clock, and you'd watch the monster movie of the day. Uh, I didn't see a lot of Dick's work until until the cinema, until high school. Uh, Little Big Man and The Exorcist and The Godfather. Godfather was my first date movie. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't looking at it from a uh, makeup point of view, but I was still fascinated by yeah. it. Peter, where did you come up? In, in Brooklyn, New York. In Brooklyn. Yeah. And was your first awareness of Dick? Famous, famous monsters? monsters. Yeah. But my father had, a, my, I still have the books there inside. I had two movie books. One was silent films and the other one was motion pictures. But the books only went to the 50s because that's when they were published. And there was a chapter on Lon Chaney uh, in the silent film book. So growing up as a kid, I remember those books and I remember the Lon Chaney stuff very vividly. And my dad would explain to me, you know, this is the same guy and he's all, all the different looks on it because my father loved films. So I was kind of aware of makeup as like an eight-year-old. I knew, you know, I knew, I knew who Buster Keaton was. I knew who Lillian Gish was, W.C. Field, all these silent film actors. And then, of course, as a kid, I, I read Famous Monsters. My brother, I have an older brother, and he used to bring Famous Monsters home, and I used to, you know, I used to look at it. And I remember seeing William Tuttle and Dick Smith and the, and the, the uh, articles that Craig was referring to, how to make the Dorian Gray. It was all step by step. It was right. It, it was like looking at the magic trick and seeing how it was done. 
the, the fact that he took a plaster skull and he unhinged the jaw and then he used mortician's wax and clay and you're looking at and I'm looking at all these different stages going holy smoke it's it was so amazing to watch it being it's one thing to see the finished product but to see how he arrived at it and I remember the one element that blew me away which was the the icing on the cake was the use of wax he melted wax in such a way that it looked like mold or some kind of uh, growth right. on the face like it was and it's like holy he had it was like a magic touch that he had it was just fantastic so that's how I knew about it. that's that was my experience in knowing who Dick Smith was but, and then of course seeing anytime I'd watch a movie a horror movie or a, a movie that had Dick Smith in it he got he got a um, it was a special card he got a, a make special makeup by Dick Smith if you there was makeups and then there was Dick Smith makeups. Yeah. If you saw Dick's name at the beginning of a movie, you knew you were in for a treat. It's like a Ray Harryhausen movie. You knew what you were going to get. So if you saw Dick's name, I knew. Uh oh, let me sit back and I'm going to see some really cool stuff. That's how far apart he was from the average makeup artist. Yeah. Mark, where did you come up at? Uh, New York State. New York State. And I had no no passing. To, to Hollywood but, but but like Peter my father loved movies and my grandmother loved the old movies so I grew up knowing Charles Lawton sure, yeah. Lon Chaney yeah. Clark Gable you know a lot of these actors that, 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 that sadly a lot of people don't know who they are today and the, the first book I recall was a book called Movie Monsters by Alan Ormsby it was this little scholastic book I don't know how we got mm. it I don't know why it was in my house and it had Lon Chaney mm. Man of a Thousand Faces and that was the first thing that got me interested in, in face makeup and as a kid my dad and I would watch Mission Impossible and I would see the the disguise mix, and they would do things. I almost burned my house down trying to copy this. But they would take out <laughs> the, uh, the plastic. They, they had to do a disguise, and they, oh. so they cut the plastic off yeah. of a, a, a Will, Ge- Will Gear. They made a, a mask. Oh, is this, the, micro- is this did, the microwave story? Yeah, they, they put, put it in plastic. They, they, they no, they put it on a, on a, bo- on, yeah. on a, on a stove yeah. and melted it, and they poured it in a mold, <laughs> and then they made the face. And I'm like, I got it. Where's the where's the, where's the sheet? So again, that showed more than discredit makeup. Oh. It gave people the wrong impression of how makeups were done. Well, it was mission impossible. It was great when they would spray the one out of the can, oh, the yeah. eyebrows and mustache, and the whole thing came out of that can. But as a kid, yeah. you're like, "What is this?" And then I would watch a show called That's Hollywood that was narrated by Tom Bosley, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he talked about again. There was any time there was a makeup one, I would watch it. He would say, and then they would take an alginate mold of rubber, and then they would glue it on. And I'm like, I didn't understand how that yeah. right. So. Right, so so having Dick with those step by step, it was the correct way to do it, and it was explained. You know, probably saved me from burning my face. The point is, I want to know what Dick was your first awareness of Dick. Was it Famous Monsters or something? It else? was actually the first book was uh, How to, uh, Making a Monster by Al Taylor and Sue Roy. Yes. I was about ten years old when yes. I got that book, and what I loved about it is it went through the history. And there was another book I got at the same time called Special Effects by John Culhane, and there was a full size shot of the Exorcist dummy. Mm. That just I couldn't even look at that page. It freaked me out. So it was before I'd seen the film. <laughs> so, uh, but getting to, to Dick's work in that Al Taylor and so I'm getting chills right now. Uh, really, and, and that picture of him with the sentinel head gluing that mm-hmm. little plug on. I, I I remember I just looked at that going, that's unbelievable to me. Yeah, that making the monster book has a lot of flaws, but it was super uh, it's important for me too when I found found that pretty early on. So it helped me to learn who a lot of makeup artists were. Sure. Yeah. And history. Yeah. also too, it's just, actually I've tried to find those two guys, sidebar. But I've tried to find Al Taylor and Sue, and Sue, Roy. Roy. Sue Roy. I cannot find them to save my life. Because I think that'd be a fascinating interview. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, tell us why you did this book and what yeah. it was like. I can't find them. I would love, love, love. If you guys ever find out where they are, it's a very important them. book. And who didn't make the book? very important to me, man? Big time. Who was to see who didn't make the book? Oh, yeah. yeah. And Rick Baker, who's like the Rick Squeak, he yeah. has a yeah. and Greenspoon squeaking at the end. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with that in there. Good. So I want. I wanted to get that that part out about famous monsters because I think that I think most of the more contributed a lot because if that had not happened. We might not have learned about Dick until most, later. Most of the guys in our age group, it was famous monsters. Yeah. A lot of boys read that. I mean, girls maybe, yes, I'm sure, but most, it was kind of a, like a little boys magazine because it was monsters and most of you know, it's just something you know. Boys it was fun. It was. I mean, I missed it. it was kind and of the having puns. Some troubles. And oh the yeah, silly puns. You know, like, 
Fang Mail. Like my dad did not want to buy me Fangoria. <laughs> like he looked at that cover, he's like, absolutely not. Like, but I think Famous Monsters, he would have been a little more uh, immediate. Yeah, it was. It was kind of benign. It was right. Like, the pictures weren't gory. Uh, and 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 again the puns and all that and the photo and he had some he must have had a fantastic photo library of he did. my grandmother was raising me at, at that time in Texas mm-hmm. and she was very disturbed that I wanted these magazines <laughs> why what do you why do you want this thing and what you know why are you wanting to see these things but you know it's it's just part of our generation but I, mm-hmm. luckily it's because of television needing content not having enough original content, so they're doing all, they're taking everything that they had before and putting it out there, and all those Universal Monster movies, and mm-hmm. of course all the Hamer films. And yeah. yeah. So we all got introduced to those things at a pretty early age. Yeah. And luckily we, luckily somehow Dick found Corey, or Corey found Dick, because I think that, I think it, there might have been a decade that might have passed before we really would have you know, Dick would have came to notoriety, you know, more uh, globally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure in the East Coast, in, in New York, he was revered anyway. He's everybody in DC. You know, they saw him. I liked how they said Dick Smith the area. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that actually came up from a book. different. But that came up from a. It was actually an, an attribution to a different Dick Smith, mm-hmm. and he took it on. As Dick Smith, the area. And well, I know about became, it in Vince Keogh's book because that's yeah. one of the, like the, like in the foreword or something. It's like one of the first things that's written. Yeah. I still remember that. And for those that are listening, it's uh, it's from a uh, Vince Keogh's book that Kevin referenced earlier. The technique of the professional makeup artist or whatever it has that has a long title like a Philip mm-hmm. K. Dick book. Mm-hmm. It just goes yeah. forever. Yeah. But it uh, it talks about. How the Dick Smith the area, which meant to clean everything, leave you know. it better than you found it. Yeah, and so that you know, there, there's his reputation. And oh, he was, fit, he was fastidious at NBC. Yeah. And the stories I heard from guys who used to work with him said he was he was a bug about cleanliness, and he used to have people clean the little. They used to have they used to use these little butter pats, and they would put lipstick on them, and it, it was he was just meticulous about it, everything he, he he did over there. I I learned about Dick Smith. My my, you know, trail of, of that. And I went, okay, there's these things that were interesting. But by that time, there were some more sensational makeups that were more. Uh, they were hitting my radar more. What sure. Rob Latine was doing. Oh sure. Or yeah. you know some very sensational things. And and I went, oh, I like Dick Smith, but everybody seems to like hold him in a higher regard. There was an adjustment that ended up being made for me in that, and to like to understand it. In fact, Little Big Man, I did not realize was a comedy because <laughs> I'd seen all this stuff from The Godfather and seen all these like very serious films, and you see these pictures of Dustin Hoffman age makeup, and think, oh, this is another like very very serious heavy duty. Film. Yeah. I thought finally, I guess I need to see this movie, so yeah. I go to the to the uh, video store to go and rent this thing. I'm looking around for a little big man in the drama area, and I'm not quite funny. I, had, I think I finally found it in the, com- in the comedy section. I pulled out, and the cover art is a young Dustin Hoffman, the young makeup, and him being kind of goofy, shooting in the air, but Western. No, this can't be it. This can't be the right one. It must be a different title. <laughs> I was so surprised at the, the movie that it was. Yeah, it's almost kind of a Mark Twins. You know, much so. yeah. a parody of historical events you're right I think that's the difference of like knowing and you know Dick did his makeup all the way through that too oh and it's he, wonderful when he's yeah. so young he looks and the like other makeup too yeah. Martin Balsam and stuff yeah. he did all of that well I think uh, he actually designed he had, it and Ken Chase, and Kenny put, Chase it put that on but, but yeah. he also I think designed Faye Dunaway's makeup and he all may the have done the thing. Wow. He, I think he was the department head uh, and the other thing about the Dustin Hoffman is I didn't know that Dustin is wearing lifts as the young Indian lad. Is that right? It's like he's got lifts on underneath the, wow. the wig. The other thing that's brilliant about that is way before League of Their Own, Dustin Hoffman is uh, dubbing over the very young kid. That's Dustin's voice saying, oh, I'm sorry, little bear, or whatever else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it hurts yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. When I got to see the old age makeup put on, which I'm not dropping like, uh, you know, like it was nothing. I know it was a big thing. He had a jar there on the counter, and it had one of his famous labels, and his unmistak- unmistakable handwriting, it said snot. 
Uh. <laughs> I said, hey, Dick, what, what, what's this? He says, oh, that's egg white. Uh, okay. It's not. Egg white. And right. you know what scene that's from. It, it, it's it, when it, he's over the, over the pass. And, and he's freezing he's, his ass off. And he's reached the final moment of madness before he sees Custer. Going and he's by. ill. He's about to jump off the cliff. And his and nose is running. long nope. strand of it. Yeah, details. <laughs> and it's Dick like, Smith. it goes back to that thought. He also did Chief Dan George's makeup. Did he and really? He also, oh, it made him look older. Yeah, yeah he did that's the right. Step on. He was uh, incensed that uh, production was paying T- Chief Dan George extra rate. And he said, hmm. you're being paid as an extra? He said, you should be getting your, your speaking character. You should be a speaking role. And I think he went to Dustin, who was one of the, uh, one of the uh, producers. Uh, really? Certainly had a big part already? Of it. Oh, wow. yeah. Uh, and uh, they changed that immediately. That's, that's old yeah. Hollywood as well. It's a different time then, too. You know, like, for that to happen, I'm, I'm speechless that that would even... Fly to well, anybody. It it happened. I mean, this is well. They'll cut any corner they can. This is no, unrelated to Dick Smith, but uh, uh, real creations. Fred Blau. Oh, Freddie Blau. Fred Blau told a story about Marlon Brando, who Dick also thought was an upstanding guy. And in the Philippines, uh, they brought out rain gear for the American crew, but not for the Filipino crew. Oh, wow. He said, oh my God. guess what, fellas, I'm not working until you get rain gear for everybody on this crew. <laughs> yeah. That's a good impression. That was good. Did you see... <laughs> I, okay, let me position this right. Did you first see Little Big Man in the theater? I did. Okay. Did You You probably first saw it in the theater. No, I did not see it in the theater. No. So you saw it first of it on television or VHS? Uh, or? V- v- uh, VHS. Yeah. Actually, the first time I saw... The pictures were were was in uh, uh, Corsan's book. Yeah, really. Prince. Yeah. Not the, the, yeah. Not the Life magazine. And then I looked, and I, w- I was a student at Brooklyn College. Brooklyn College had a large theater department in the in their library. They had a large theater section, and I would always gravitate towards the theater section. That's where I saw Corsan's book, which, when I became interested in makeup, I I, I looked through Corsan's book. And when I saw the little big man makeup, I was completely enthralled with it. They had a large Life magazine section. They had every Life magazine going back from whatever. So they had a large reference library, too. I found the the article, the, the Life magazine, with the little big man makeup in it. And I don't tell anyone. I actually <laughs> tore the pictures out of the magazine. Stone the blessing. I still have I still have. So if anyone from Brooklyn College is listening. Well, the day I was there, the man that took those photos, uh, took them, his yeah. name was Ernst Yeah, you're in, the, you're in the pictures, Greg. And you're, well, no, no, and but those were background. taken by another guy. And they, oh, the guy the pictures. Mel Traxel. They Mel Traxel, that's right. Still yes. You may Mel know him from New York. He yeah. did everything East Coast. He was great. But a guy named Ernst Haas, a very respected worldwide, you know, German-born, uh, uh, he did, yeah, he came, he was life's hire. And he came with his little... You know, support group, and took the pictures that appeared in life. Yeah, and and the, the pictures that I fluked into were were simply because Mel was banging away all through it. So they combined those. Four they the they pictures. combined them. Yeah, and Ernst Huss came in later. I became very interested in photography. He published some beautiful books with some of his work. Haas H A A S. By the way, anyway, uh, he kind of worked around and betwixt and between Mel. Mel kind of fell back. I mean, he understood the deal. Like I gotta let this guy have access, uh, and he and and Haas took his pictures. But uh, to hear these stories is wonderful, you know. And where where these things lead to all yeah. of our lives, you know, yeah. what point it crops up. It's all you know, kids met really. Mark, where did you first see Little Big Man? Was it on? TV. Caught it on, on TV. TV. Craig, you no, well, you saw the big screen. I had to queue up to see it to. at the movie. Sure, I yeah. actually saw a special screening of it where Dick. Dick was at the screening. It was in. It was. Well, that's great. I'm trying to think of where this was. Uh, it was. It was. No, it was out it was here. here. It was out here. Egyptian. It was, no, it was down. It was at. Um, it was Beverly? at one of the colleges down. <laughs> I, I can't remember. It was. It was at a college. It was a special screening, and Dick was going to be there. Was it around the 
Um, and was when it when it first came out, or later? No, this is much later. This okay. is after I had worked after I had worked with Dick, and we you know became friends, and he knew of me, and I you know we worked together a few times. But um, and I knew he was going to be he was going to be in California. It's after I had moved out here, so I went to the screening. It wasn't a great print, but the fact that Dick was going to be there, I had to go. Right. So I stayed for the uh, I stayed for the, the you know we saw the movie it was I saw it on the on the screen and then after I went up to see Dick and he saw me and he you know he was oh well, you know what are you doing here blah 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 I'm giving you a big hug and it was real great but uh, that's when I saw it on, on the on the screen too. when I first saw it obviously it was on that VHS copy that I, I took and looked at it and it was like <laughs> and it seemed right. like well it's, um, okay it's ambitious and <clears throat> the paint job looked decent. But you know, and it also seems a little stiff to me. And that's my interpretation. No, no, I think those are, those are fair accurate. criticisms yeah. down the road. But then there was this wonderful thing that the, the Academy did. It's called the George Palmi that they do once a year. They take a different person to uh, talk about things. And one year they had Rick Baker do it. Oh, right. And talking about makeup and this kind of the evolution of makeup and, and the importance of it. There's two things that were amazing takeaways for me from that experience. One was seeing Frankenstein for the first time on a big screen. Mm -hmm. The aspect ratio of it, and I, you know, although I'd seen for since I was a small kid, I'd seen that film, but always been on a small screen. Yeah, it was really something to see it in the context that it was meant to be seen. The lighting in that movie That's is pretty very remarkable. So much more powerful. Yeah. But I digress on that one, but it, it, it ties to it. But Little Big Man, when I saw that clip, <laughs> all of a sudden that was a completely different makeup. It was beautifully yeah. painted. Yeah. And it played really, really well. It's really something when, you know, that's the... Um, Maybe young people today who have never seen a VHS tape or, or a print that's been played so many times, they see the digital, which is the same on the first showing as it is the thousandth showing. Mm. But it, uh, the context in which you're able to receive the art and, and in the context that the filmmaker had in mind for it really has an incredible impact oh, upon the way you interpret it. I'm sorry, Mark. I was going to say, what are your thoughts about having a lot of these films now done in HD and 4K in, in, a, in a way that they're not meant to be seen? Now, for me as a research, mm. you can see all the flaws, everything that you know <laughs> Dick would never, ever... He, he did it to the film. Like I, I looked at those behind the scenes of the extras, like, wow, that, that bruising looks very heavy-handed, but on the film, it's perfect. Yeah. But then in HD and 4K, it's like, ooh... You know, you start examining it. So I think it's kind of a mixed bag. But what are your thoughts on something? Good. Like Let me that? say one thing just for the sake of our listeners on that. One of the reasons why we've been dwelling on the little big man makeup because it's really the it's like the mother of all age makeups in many ways because it was the overlap overlapping appliance makeup and it's it's like there were makeups age makeups before little big man and then there <laughs> were age makeups after little big man. <laughs> it changed the way that age makeup was done in film. It was, it was it also brought Dick to prominence in a way. But you have to remember Dick was a working makeup artist in New York for 25 30 years almost, well, almost just his career almost before that. So he had done it umpteen number of makeups yeah. prior to that. This was like the culmination of everything. All of his technology. And all that, yeah, his technology to that point. And he incorporated, he said, I pulled out every stop I could to, to make this work. And he did. Blinking eyelids. It was like the same year as 2001 Space Odyssey, right? Uh, or maybe the year before? No, it was before. So not by 60... much. That was later. Uh, 69 was Little Big Man, when he did the makeup. It came out around 70, I think. Uh, uh, 2001 was 68. So Same it's year only, as Planet of the Apes. Yeah, it's but very close together. Some amazing thing happening. There's boom, boom, boom yeah. in the 60s there. And people always say 80s, 80s, till I'm sick of hearing it. I think, wait a minute, yeah. you've got to look further back than that. And before we get to Mark's thing, I have to say a couple things about the little big man uh, makeup that, uh, that was a disappointment for Dick. The first one that people don't know about is that the giant epoxy cow uh, wrap piece yeah. Warped, yes, Mark yeah. notes. Oh, yeah. And he had to press it out to get it to be accurate and went into great detail to anybody that would listen about how you know you made certain grooves and everything. But that actually had to be redone. Mm -hmm. The stiffness of the pieces was another one. He ran those 
in uh, George Bow foam, which uh, I got to hold some. I don't know. You've definitely gotten to hold some. You might have even. I had some. a whole set of, uh, not the whole yeah. set, but he gave me a lot of seconds. You know, yeah. But in order like to get jowls and all that jazz. in order to get all that detail, he ran it at three volumes. Now most wow. appliances are four or five, and plus because he was also doing the whole picture, he ran all those pieces before he started the picture. So they had aged by traveling with him, going to, I'm pretty sure he took them with him because he think he said that's why uh, it changed. But by the time he did the makeup, the, 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 the foam had uh, stiffened Stiffen. quite really? uh, substantially. Mm -hmm. And he used a wardrobe steamer. Right. Uh, to try to put more moisture back into it, it and do it. I, I watched him do it. And if you look at the uh, Life magazine and the uh, Telegraph magazine yep. pictures, it, it goes step one, step two, step three, steam. Right. <laughs> wow, life. I just I learned something. I've never heard the story yeah. before. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't fit. Well, like, you know, I, I, I wanted to find a place to insert it in the conversation, but the, the amazing thing about him, which we all know about him, was he was meticulous to mm -hmm. the capital M. Never and, he had a, and he had a list... Taped to his mirror. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't say he did this on every make. Certainly he didn't do it when I watched him make a Patty Duke, but this was complex. And he was, uh, he once told me in confidence, he said, you know, Craig, the thing I, I dread more than anything is not being prepared, is being embarrassed on the set. Mm -hmm. And I said, really? Mm -hmm. He said, that's my worst, worst fear. So, it fits. Mm -hmm. In order to prevent that from ever happening, he prepped and he prepped again. Yeah. And he had this... Again, very meticulous list. Number one, whatever it was. Number two, number three, all the way down to and number time. whatever. And the time. So, the time. Yeah, and also yeah. the time so he would keep himself more or less like, you know, recording music. You have to hit these cues because if you don't, you're going to take longer than you really ought to. Mm -hmm. So keep keep aware of the time, but don't miss don't miss it. These must have loved him. And, believe, and, and listen, we take overlapping appliances as makeup professionals, and this will be mostly listened to, I should imagine, by people who are seriously interested in makeup. We take the technique of uh, overlapping appliances kind of for granted now, but the sequence in which they are applied is directly the reverse of how they were created. That was his invention. But he didn't want to fuck up and, and get one stage on before the other one was supposed to go because he couldn't reverse that yeah. without destroying the piece. There's no going back. There's no going back. You've got to go in sequence to the end. Let's and, see, uh, and talk about some, uh, I touched on in the beginning of it, but just of all the things that Dick contributed. We talked about overlapping appliances. I was, I was always surprised that he never got a scientific achievement award. Yes, uh, so yes. Many, Apart yeah. from the artistic, well, always, also the, the Gordon Sawyer the Award. Scientific achievements, and the, 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 the materials, the techniques. Yeah. I'm sorry, we're still using them today. Yeah. And that Alco trick to fill it off. That was necessary in order to do the overlap. He didn't do that. He didn't do that on Little Big Man. He didn't. How did he do it? It was a preliminary. He, it was something before Alco. He told me I, he brushed rubber. He said I put, a, I put a layer of latex on the life mask. Did my sculpture, and then I was able to peel it off, peel it off that way. But he didn't use it. That's what he told me. When he discovered Alcott, he's like, "This is the greatest oh, yeah. thing ever." Then he used dental <laughs> separator. He was always looking for the, yeah. a better way to do it, and he always. stumbled on it. Never uh, satisfied. Separator. Yeah. So for those listening, what we're talking about is he would do the sculpture, and then cut it into sections and remove, uh, be able to lift off clay, and then have the one section that was still there blend it off. And then to do a cast off of that. That's key. And then, the and key then thing is what you just said. Yeah. So let's say it's mm -hmm. the like in the case of little big man, it's the nose and upper lip mm. that gets left and gets blended. Or was it the other way around? He did. And then the and then the cheek pieces mm -hmm. is now put onto a new positive. He's he's lifted that piece of clay and he's he's put onto this new positive that incorporates the cast with. Uh, the appliance and be yes. able to blend that. Mm. And so that's essential for yeah. this to be successful. Yeah. Absolutely right. And there were some early people that attempted to imitate them and they didn't get it. They would yeah. they would do these things individually and then try to overlap them and then they built up in places. They didn't get the architecture. You've got to start with the you've got to start with the first thing yeah. that's going to go on the face and then you you yeah. cap that, meaning you mold it. And then you build your next piece because pretty soon you're going to get, be getting further and further away from the structure of the man's actual face and you cannot blend into something that is his own face and expect it to work in what you've already established. Which takes us really into that. 
Max for the uh, the Exorcist to be able to get Stretch and Stipple to work with appliances. Yes, 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 yes. Because he's yes, done yes. the Stretch and Stipple, he put, and he's done a cast he of him with that. Then he can exactly match the texture. Did. Correct. Exactly what he did. It's another genius move. Pax. I mean, that was a revolutionary development for us to have to be able to have. Uh, Pax stands for. Prosade uh, acrylic. Liquitex acrylic. Because yeah. X was li- Liquitex. Yeah, yeah, Liquitex. And so yeah, that yeah. created a, a, you know, a solid that you could glue things to and it wouldn't move. And, right. And flexible and you could do it in washes. Mm-hmm. And which, was, which was done for Tootsie. Uh, Is that a fact? And yeah, it was done for Tootsie. He was going to use it to uh, cover uh, Dustin Hoffman's beard shadow. <sighs> Mm-hmm. And one of the complaints was that it was texturing up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, he and then he it actually used, used it, it for, was it Max's no, Max no, hands? The hunger. No, no, he used the it. The next time he used it was on hunger. He didn't, he used other stuff. He used like a vinyl paint on Linda, like a gap okay. or some kind of vinyl on uh, on her body makeup. We had that on the And remember Kevin also on the Ape Man. There was little, it was sort of a. Uh, a, a, a vinyl, not the, the well, alcohol based. Like yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the little ape guy and alters. Yeah, the ape guy. Because I had to do that in Hollywood, and yeah. uh, I remember I followed his. Did Rick, didn't Rick do that? Maybe? No, he didn't. No, no. I thought he farmed it out to him. No, I'll bounce back to that. He, but just before I finish on the paint, it was a it was a paint that he basically asked me to use to, you know, it's like obviously following his protocols right. and the supplies sure. he gave me. Sure. But there was also a grease paint that George Bow had made that he right. had, which was interesting stuff. Yeah. It did not have an out, a, a, a didn't castor oil base. Castor oil base. Did, yeah. Dick had some of that. Most I unusual. Asked him about it. Yeah. He said and he it's used not a lot castor oil base. No. Yeah. And he used a lot of that on the Exorcist. Oh. And this was all pre-packs, obviously. Yeah. The the paint tended to break down under perspiration, and this little guy was um, he was a phenomenon what he could do. I mean, but he got he got very heated and mm. it began to crack up. And I, it was how I would repair that on the set was just. Put a little more vehicle in it, a little more isopropyl paint right over it. It would melt the hmm. cracking stuff down into a mm-hmm. into a unified film again. Well, you had to think on the fly. Sure, you know? sure. sure. Right, they don't tell you, you know, even Dick doesn't tell you everything. He, you know, right. he expects you to kick in a little We're bit. We're seeing like from most of the history of motion picture. Right. And then there's a couple of... Uh, it, very quickly things that were tried, but then it became prosaic and, and 355. Yes, right. Due to both. Well, and his, came later. It was first. Later. It was this. Okay, first it was this awful shit called Sloman's Medical. Sloman's, yes. yes. Like yeah. rubber cement, and it wow. was like a rubber cement. Yeah, too, and yeah. he used that uh, on around the mouth, and yeah. it was Spirit Gummer Duo every place else. Yeah. He used on Taxi Driver. A uh, thing called Hollister's uh, adhesive. It was a medical adhesive, mm-hmm. which gave me the inspiration. It was he said well, the only problem with this is it's white, and I looked at the ingredients. It's like oh, zinc oxide. I wonder if that's ah. what makes it so strong. Hmm. So that's what made me think about using zinc oxide nice. uh, under appliances to uh, seal the skin. Uh, getting back to Max, Max had acrylic stipple, but it was all rubber mask grease. Oh, and, 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 and in Iraq, in Iraq. Iraq. that's what I was just going to say you know they have close-ups of him handling that idol yes in, yeah. in Iraq and yeah. uh, there's nothing peeling up yeah. I think was, Rick Baker worked with him on yeah, yeah. Rick Baker, on that shoot yeah. Yeah, so that getting portion. back to the 8 man he, Rick didn't do the 8 man no how would that he work if he um, Dick blocked it all out yeah. and, and Kevin was there right? Right. but he didn't have time to, and, and to deal with it. it we were all busy right Kevin yeah. was busy. I was busy. Carl was busy. Everybody, Harvey Citron, who never gets mentioned, was busy. Yeah, we Harvey, were yeah, busy. Yeah, you know, yeah. We were busy, busy, busy. So he just shipped the damn thing to Rick. Oh, and Rick finished and it Rick up. Finished yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and Rick yeah. sent it all back, all done. But I knew Rick was involved with it. Some he was. Somewhere. You're absolutely oh, okay. right. But he didn't do the eight man. You right. know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Rick made so, the molds. He floated it, made the molds too. Yeah. But Dick, but Dick objected. Not objected. He didn't like the way the lip, lower lip and chin piece looked. So he redid that himself in New York mm-hmm. after the fact. For those listening, we're talking about one of the makeups from Altered States, which was a oh, very, very cool yeah. um, eight man. Yeah, it kind of goes down the evolutionary scale, which would have been William Hurt and. and 
Miguel Godot was the Miguel dancer. Godot, yeah. yeah, he was, Godot. A, he was Godot. an athlete. Godot. He, was the he was a ballet dancer. Ballet dancer yeah. yeah, he called himself the Black Nereid, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> but originally, he oh yeah, sure, I know him. He, he wasn't. Nereid. He wasn't lacking in the confidence. <laughs> yeah. But but I tell you, you better look at that movie. Yeah. You, you you will see, see a guy doing things move. that no human being should be able. And to when do. Arthur, he was good. And oh, when Arthur great. Penn was directing, he could almost walk in the ceiling. Soccer player. Mm. Uh, that you know, because we did that like several times. Uh, yeah. I, I just had a question: when you hear those yells, are those really him, or was that Foley? Uh, in my memory, it was him. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was uh, Sorry, possessed. Guys. He was incredible. You know what? He had a demand at, at shoot. At the end of the shoot, he wanted two things. He wanted uh, he wanted a shot of tequila. And I think it was a beer or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> a man after my own heart. And man, I, I tell you what. And I'm telling you, the PA show Dick, with Dick, Dick wanted that or the uh, the actor. <laughs> <laughs> Dick may have wanted it, but uh, Miguel demanded it. So Miguel would stand there before uh, me, and usually Mike Hancock stripped him down. You know, after the shoot. By God, somebody show up and hand him, you know, a, a shot glass full That's of uh, tequila. Well, after having all those dogs attack him and him running around all of a sudden his birthday, so I he think deserved he, it. he deserved at least yeah. that. Yeah, he did. So I have to um, interject in my alternate. So i got to tell a know. great story, and I don't care who. No, no, it's okay. at, no, after you. You've heard, you've heard this. Kevin, I don't know if you've heard this. It's a good this. growth this story. This is uh, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and, uh, you know, Dick was moving from Larchmont to Florida, and he's getting rid of a lot of stuff. And one of the things he had, like, a little shop sale, and one of the things he was selling was cases. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll put a bid in for, you know, these cases. And I, I got a bunch. And as I'm getting these cases, one of them is it's long and it's flat. And he goes, oh, yeah, that was uh, from Altered States. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I put it in my car. I drive home. And I get home late at night, and I'm pulling stuff out of my car, and I pull this case up, and I hear something inside. I'm like, well, what could that be? So I open it up. And it's newspaper. It's New York Times newspaper from 1977 or 78, whenever 79. it was. And I'm opening it, and it and it says like butt, and there's like a swatch of hair there. And I'm like, Matt. And I open it again. It's like left arm, and I'm like, That's right. This is. I didn't know this was in here. Like, what do I do? I got one. Oh my god! Like I got. I know. And that's why I said, if you said, if you look at it, you would tell which ones you laid and sprayed and which ones he did. Well, I don't. It it never made it out here. It was one of the things that was I was gonna ship, and it never made it out. So I still have it with the newspapers and stuff. I'm I'm working on it. Academy. (laughs) And uh, they already have a ton of stuff. I'm gonna. Was that stuff laid on and then just cryoloned? And, uh, it was on like Formica or something. Craig. It goes into it in the, in oh, the course. Craig, Craig, yeah, because Craig, Craig actually, you had to get the layup. Now, I'd like to say and really emphasize with a red underscore that even though I've got Kevin Heaney uh, sitting here <laughs> like, uh, what did you do, Kevin? He did fucking plenty, pardon my French. We were, we were working, working, working. It just simply happened to fall to me before Dick to find it was a vacuum where he plugged me in I want to make that real clear mm-hmm. and he showed me and he was he drive you mad with his specifics you know, mm-hmm. he really could he would just get you to yeah. like I get it Dick I think I get it yeah. but he uh, basically showed me how he wanted it done and I, I, I actually snuck in some variations I thought that what he was going for was sort of striated but God forbid you should differ with a brilliant man like him but I, on that I did but anyway I got the gist of what he wanted to do, and how it was done was simple. He had uh, simple pieces of uh, formica, basically, you know, like the top yeah, piece that you like would this. typically, yes, exactly, like the table we're sitting at, that typically is laminated to a wooden substrate. Mm-hmm. But he had just the sheets, which are flexible. Kevin will remember this, and he had he had drawn out in marker, I believe it was, the uh, basically the uh, volume and the I area. It was in China pencil. China pencil, so it was indelible. So that it would be, be basically the format of the, whatever it was, the leg, the thigh, the, the mm. forearm, and all the, the pieces. Yes, or the, or the butt. <laughs> but no, but what I mean, believe me, you can forgive me for having wanted to get it out of my mind. You know, I did several <laughs> sets of those, and you get a little gaga. Was it yak hair? Uh, it was probably yak hair, yeah. yak and human. And it had been processed so that it had the proper amount of bristle and wag to it. And we had piles of it, you know. And... Uh, in essence, what he wanted done was to be cut a particular length and to be laid in a random pattern. He was very adamant about that. Uh, well, the only place where I dare differ with Dick is if you look at animals, they have a beautiful pattern yeah. that actually sure. sometimes There's a direction, is gorgeous and, and gradated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, he had the direction down, but the idea of the striated each uh, application being sort of separate, I, I, I thought, no, you don't. You don't want that. I know what you think you want, but you don't want that. So that's the only thing I, I made so bold as to change slightly. But how he had it done, it was very simple and it was very sensible. He basically used right a big pot of spirit gum, so he just whacked it on there. 
and gave it its, you know, and then when it's ready, you just start laying the hair. Wow. Were you tacking it or are you just giving it time? Just laying it, just, just throwing it right on. It, it. didn't and it matter would dry. because it was going to come off anyway. Once right, you, once right you... exactly. And then when it was basically arranged, you had to take it to a place where you wouldn't asphyxiate everyone in the, in the uh, shop, which uh, in Dick's unique setup there, which Kevin can vouch for, we were in someone else's basement the in lens. the next door house. Yeah, and we the moved lens, the lens face. Yes, and we would take the uh, sheets of formica into the garage bay, where he would his neighbor would park his car, close the door, mm-hmm. and but we would have the uh, compressor there, and we would take a, uh, a solution of uh, it was a neoprene based adhesive, and neoprene. get it as thin as possible. Either barge or acorn. I, th- I think it was acorn, and we would try to keep it extremely thin. Otherwise, you would see it; it would begin to web and it would get a little chunky. Oh, yeah. And you couldn't completely eliminate that, but it was enough to bond the hair together. And then came the fun part, which was to get the solvent, either MEK or acetone, and let it drizzle. Float it off. Flow. Oh, you had gosh. to really load your brush and get it up above it and not let it get too happy with it or begin to disintegrate the piece. Yeah. And very carefully tease that thing off. Yeah. And once you got it off, you would lay it on a newspaper. Well, Dick was under terrible pressure, and there was that one dreadful day where I, I basically was responsible for a good deal of this. I don't remember it was all or some of but. I got the goddamn things off, and it was really, really cold and, and, and heavy fog that day. Very freaky weather that day. Well, what happened was uh, several of the pieces went just completely straight. It took the curl right out of them. So, in essence, you had the pieces, but they were all Chinese straight. Mm. And Dick, who was under a lot of pressure and was already remaking things at the behest of Ken Russell, and yeah. Ken Russell was constantly changing his mind long oh distance, God. Dick lost his shit, and he took a <laughs> chair, and he just started beating it on the floor, and he wow. turned that chair into a modern art sculpture. <laughs> and Kevin and I were there, we just sort of stood against the wall like, you know, kind of like mentally yeah. c- communicating, like I guess we better let this play out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's not interrupt him. Well, that. there were a couple of things. Holy like mackerel! I can't imagine the. Pressure. But you know, when you're young and you're not in that position, right, Kev? You yeah, haven't yeah. you haven't really fully experienced. You can you can cop all kinds of attitudes, like I'd never do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you get under a sufficient pressure, so uh, you know you have to forgive a man of of his uh, incredible dimensions. Uh, uh, Occasional lapses, and he he lost his temper a few more times down the road because altered states was extremely frustrating. And that concludes part one of our podcast about the great Dick Smith. Be sure and check out part two. For Makeup Artist Magazine, I'm Michael Key. Thanks for listening.